Hi, this is Mark, lead pastor of Lux Digital Church. I want to thank you for joining us today and also invite you to join with us live at twitch.tv slash Church every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. EST. Thank you for joining us and please enjoy this message. Hello, Lux. Pastor Mark here. I'm so excited to have you here with us tonight. Thank you for being here. If you don't know me, I'm the pastor here and founding pastor at Lux Digital Church. We're so glad to have you. And if you're here for the very first time, thank you for coming by and joining us tonight. We've been praying for you and we are so glad that you're here. And whenever you feel comfortable, do me a favor and say hello in the chat or drop a follow here on the channel. If you drop a follow on the channel, all that we're going to do is send you a DM here on Twitch inviting you to join us in our Discord server. And if you say hello in the chat, all we're going to do is welcome you in the chat to our family here at Lux. And if you've never been to church before, or you've certainly never been to an online church like this before, and it seems a little bit strange, feel free to stick around and ask any questions that you might have. We'd love to field them and answer them. And in the post-service tonight, I'm going to be back on the couch and I'm willing to answer any questions that you might have. If you're joining us later on as part of our on-demand family, either on podcast or YouTube or on a VOD here on Twitch, then welcome in as well. We're so glad that you're here with us tonight, and we hope you're having a really great start to the Christmas season. And we'd also love to invite you to come and join us on Disney. Discord, because church is not just about consumption, it's also about participation. We'd love for you to come and be part of the family, to join a small group, as Bougie in our church always says, and just come and hang out with us. Star Fox, it's good to see you. Welcome in tonight. Annika, welcome in. I hope you're doing well. I hope Thursday's doing good for you. And so we would love to have you come and join us. And you can grab a link to that in the description of this episode, this video, or in the panels below if you're watching on Twitch with us. We would love to see you there. Tonight we are in part three of a four-week collection of talks called Christmas at the Movies, in which we have been looking at a different Christmas movie every week and we have been pulling out some of the tried and true things that are in it that are also line up with the teachings and the ways of Jesus. We started off by looking at the movie the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey. Uh, last week we looked at the movie Elf and this week we're going to be looking at one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies. But before we get into that, I do want to quickly talk about the whole point of this series and why it is that we're talking about it. So one of the convictions that I've had recently Recently is that Christmas has been a little bit hijacked. It's like it's sort of been taken away. Like the point of Christmas, of charity and love and peace and harmony and goodness. Like all of those things tend to get lost in the chaos of the Christmas season, in the eggnog and in the parties, in the Christmas shopping, in the gift wrapping, in the craziness of life. And if you have kids like I do, I have two young kids, it can get even more chaotic. You can see the magic in their eyes, which is really quite cool. And and you can see the excitement that they have around getting gifts, but it just adds higher levels of complication to the Christmas season. There's more gifts to buy, more places to go, more things to do. And as your kids grow older, I don't think it gets any less crazy or stressful until they move out of your home. And so Christmas can sometimes feel, well, stressed out. And sometimes it's stolen by sort of the materialism and the desire and the wants of the day. And other times, Christmas kind of gets hijacked and stolen by our own feelings around the season. Perhaps we've lost somebody close to us. And the magic and the sort of sparkle that was on Christmas is tarnished and gone and hard to see because the season is just a memory for us of the people that we don't have with us anymore. Whatever it is for you that has stolen your Christmas spirit, it has been my heart as we look at these Christmas movies and we talk about the meaning of Christmas in general, that we will reclaim the heart of what Christmas is, which is why our current uh, key statement for this series is make 
Christmas great again, which is a little bit political, but also mostly funny. Make Christmas great again. I'm hoping in this season that you are preparing yourself for the greatest Christmas that you have had in years. And whether Christmas has brought sorrow or it has brought stress, I hope that this year Christmas brings joy and love, compassion, generosity, all of the things that Christmas is truly about. And if there's one person in all of Christmas movies that desperately needed to understand what Christmas was about, that person would be none other than Ebenezer Scrooge. You see, as a child growing up, we watched a Muppet Christmas Carol pretty much every single year. A Muppet Christmas Carol was on in our house pretty much every year. And I know, I think it's St. Bear's like favorite movie, I think. Like St. Bear loves a Muppet Christmas. I watched it the other day with my kids and I was actually, I was like, Muppet Christmas Carol, I'm telling you, man, I was blown away at how sophisticated a Muppet Christmas Carol is and how much stuff just went like completely over my head as a child that I totally missed out on. Unfortunately, we're not going to get into all the nuances of why that blue man may be named Grover or Crover or... Gomez, I'm not sure what his name is, uh, like him being Charles Dickens, which is incredibly creative and fun. But I love the story of A Christmas Carol. In fact, I loved it so much that I was in a play at one point called A Christmas Carol. Uh, yeah, there was a friends of ours who were starting a theater company, and I had always wanted to be in a play or a musical, and I had never been in one when I was in high school. So in my 20s, I signed up and tried out for A Christmas Carol, and I had some really great mutton chops. And here's a picture to prove that I had really great mutton chops chops look at those things and the sweepy hair and everything and if you're wondering who i played i played fred scrooge's nephew so i was part of the opening scenes of the movie i was also part of christmas past and i was one of the dancers in christmas present at the fuzzy wig christmas party if you're wondering uh and i had to learn dance moves and my friend justin who i wouldn't have showed this picture of but he was literally here leading worship for us two weeks ago as a guest worship leader was uh jacob marley and so with Jacob Marley on the screen as well. Hi, Malachi, Malachi, and Samus. It's good to see you guys. Yoshi Cake, it's good to see you. Welcome to church. Glad to shock the toast. Um, Jacob Marley, he was, the, he, was the, he was the ghost that introduced the whole thing. And so it was so much fun kind of being in the play. But in A Muppet Christmas Carol, Scrooge is this sort of like evil miser. He's a moneylender who wants to evict people around Christmas time. He doesn't keep the spirit of Christmas in his heart, and all that he likes is cold, hard cash. And he doesn't even enjoy the cold, hard cash. He lives in darkness and coldness and he doesn't put coal in the fire and all of the things that are associated with the bah humbug and the dislike of the Christmas season and Scrooge has reasons for disliking Christmas but his attitude towards it is just so incredibly nasty and so the movie opens up with some musical numbers showing Scrooge making his way through the streets to his money counting place and where all of his people and accountants are calculating the riches that he's gathering up and he pays them almost nothing and he keeps them freezing cold and then a handful of different Christmas visitors show up they're showing up because they're asking for money or they're wishing him well on Christmas Eve and this is going to bring us to our first clip from a Muppets Christmas Carol Scrooge in his counting house Scrooge is nothing but a miser angry he throws a wreath at a small caroling rabbit. Uh, throughout the movie, we see that Scrooge has reasons for not liking Christmas, but it also becomes very clear in the opening that he is due for a change of heart. By the way, hi, Mary Wallace Storms. It's good to see you. I hope you're doing well. Scrooge receives a visitor that evening on Christmas Eve from the ghost of his long dead business partner, 
Jacob Marley. And there's two of them in the Muppet Christmas Carol. And he's told that he's going to be haunted by three spirits that night. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. Because Scrooge doesn't just need life to change. He needs a total life transformation. And I think the truth is, so do we. A lot of times we also need a complete and total life transformation. We need things to be utterly reworked in our life. We come into this world as sort of squabbling, selfish children. It's all about me and mine and get and grab. And, and truth be told, in the survival of the fittest idea, well, the idea of Christmas doesn't really make much sense. And certainly Christian ideals and morals don't make much sense either. Why would you be someone of charity or compassion or love if all of those things either exude weakness or give away the very resources that you need to get ahead of somebody else? Loving your fellow man or fellow woman doesn't make much sense if our entire goal is to gain, to grab, and to consume as much stuff as we possibly can, which is why the Christmas season ends up being so polluted because it oftentimes ends up, well, mostly about consumption and very little about love and kindness and compassion. And we can kind of get swept up in that and kind of get robbed of what Christmas is supposed to be about. It can almost be hard to enjoy our precious moments with our family because we're stressed out about not having enough money to buy gifts or about what someone else bought us and whether or not the thing that we bought them will be a worthy exchange and all of the various things with family members that come up around the holidays and you're nervous about being with this aunt or that uncle or this grandparent or that parent and you're kind of wondering what it's going to be like this year if you're going to be in the same room with them? Is it going to be stressful? Is it going to be difficult? Is Uncle Charlie going to get totally drunk this year? Like all of those various things that kind of, and I'm sorry if you have an Uncle Charlie, that was a completely random name, but maybe it was a prophecy and you have an Uncle Charlie and he is going to get drunk this year. I have no idea. My point is, is there's a lot of stuff that goes on in Christmas that can kind of make us a bit of a Scrooge, a bit of a bah humbug. And if you don't think that we're naturally selfish people in general, well then you have never met a two-year-old before because even my daughters, like it, and I love them deeply, very much so, like even in their very early years like every child is like this like some of the first words that come out of their mouth are me and mine like kids don't come out and then you know start walking about and be like hey who would really like my toys would any of you like my toys i would like to give away my toys no it's like those are my fruit strips and those are you know my banana things or whatever all of the various different things that kids eat my kids had these like little banana puffs that were like I don't know, they're like rice bars flavored like banana. I'm not exactly sure what they were. But kids are selfish, naturally. It's theirs. They want to grab it. They want to possess it. They want toys. They want stuff. Well, it's just how we come into the world. We come into the world as selfish consumers. We don't come into the world as sort of compassionate, loving, and giving individuals. Generosity doesn't come naturally to us. And so the teachings of the Bible often run in contrast to the way we think about life or even the way the world tells us that we need to live. Because the more I give away and the more love that I show well, what theoretically could mean the less there is for me. And Jesus knew that our lives needed to be transformed. In fact, that's largely why he came here to earth, was to offer us a transformed life. And he actually tells us this, that Jesus didn't just come to be able to, I don't know, put on a flesh suit and then give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. He actually came because he wanted your life to be utterly and totally transformed, much in the same way that Scrooge was going to need his life utterly and totally transformed on that fateful night while being visited by three different spirits. And if you don't believe me, let's actually look at a story of an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. I'm going to look at the scripture with you. Let's go ahead and read, starting in John chapter 3, verse 1. 
It's one of my favorite stories in Jesus' encounters with somebody. It says this, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, and after dark one evening he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? A logical next question. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can provide only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Dark Sue, good to see you. Welcome in, my friend. I hope you're doing well tonight. Thanks for stopping by. So we have this story of this man named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. There's a couple really interesting points inside this story, little nuances that if you don't really understand the ancient Hebrew culture that might go missed. First off, Nicodemus is a religious leader who comes to Jesus, and Jesus is sort of in opposition with the religious leaders, even early on in his ministry. They don't really understand him. He's teaching some very strange things, and he's typically found always sort of opposing them or butting heads with them at the very least locking horns with the religious leaders. And so I just picture Nicodemus. He's sort of back with all of his religious buddies in the synagogue or in the temple, right? And they're sort of standing around and they're like, listen, guys, somebody has to go talk to Jesus, right? Because like everyone is starting to follow him. We need to know what his deal is. Like everyone that we go to talk to him just ends up being stumped. He's doing supernatural things. He keeps healing people that are blind. Like somebody has to go <laughs> stinking talk to Jesus, right? And everyone's like, I do not want to go talk to Jesus. Everyone's like, not, not me, not me, not me. And there's poor Nicodemus. So we draw straws. Everyone draws their straw. And Nicodemus comes up with a short straw. He's the Pharisee that has to go encounter Jesus. And his friends look at him with compassion. Like, okay, man, listen, at least you don't have to go in the light of the day so no one will see you go at night and keep it quiet right we don't really want anybody to know that we're sort of talking to him anyway and so i picture nicodemus sort of creeping up outside of the window jesus leaning up on the window as jesus is sitting inside he's like hey jesus hey jesus i don't know if this is actually what happens this is mark version of the story but he calls over jesus and he's like hey teacher listen we know that you're from God. Like just, we just get that out there right now. I'm not here accusing you. I know that you're from God because of the miraculous works that you do. Let me just build you up a little bit before I slam you with the next question that I have, right? Before you can even ask the question, Jesus throws a doozy at him, which is one of the things that I love about the way that Jesus engaged with people, knowing what they were going to ask in their heart. Jesus frequently asks people a question before they can even get their question out of their mouth. And he immediately goes to him and just makes a statement. He says, listen, if you're going to be entering the kingdom of God, if you want to see it well then you need to be born again and nicodemus is like well this conversation went in a weird direction but i can't climb back into my mother's womb so would you like to expand on what you just said and jesus said well the spirit gives birth to the spirit it, jesus saying to nicodemus is like you you can't see the kingdom of god and you cannot enter the kingdom of god without going through a transformative experience with the holy spirit that is on par with the experience of being born like the experience of coming into the world to go from the womb and into the world is the type of experience that you must undergo. That type of transformation is must happen in your life in a spiritual sense for you to even be able to see the kingdom that I've begun talking about. We already know from our last collection of talks that 
Jesus talked about the kingdom literally all the time. That was the thing that he preached about and told stories about above everything else. Nicodemus is a little bit stumped, and truth be told, he ends up being a little stumped at the end of this as well. But the point is that Jesus is saying we must have totally transformed lives, that we are made new, that when Jesus enters our life, when we embrace him as Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit comes into our life, that we become almost and totally, utterly un recognizable when we are born again. And this is also reinforced later in some of the writings of the apostles. For example, I'm going to tell you one in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and is pleasing and is perfect. Do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but be, but let God transform you into something new. Let him transform and renew your mind. Once again, this concept of transformation. Hey, Maple, it's good to see you. Maple leaves in the trees. Welcome in. We're so glad to have you. Thanks for stopping by with us tonight. Good to have you here. And so here we see, we see the apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome. Listen, you need to be renewed, transformed, made new. You can't stay the way that you are. That following Jesus means total and complete life transformation. I was watching a podcast, or not a podcast, a YouTube video of a, a pretty in famous, I, I guess kind of famous YouTuber. He has a pretty big following. He does a lot of sort of like political stuff. And, and so I was watching because he made a post and the title was like, I believe in God or something like this. It was interesting. So I decided to watch it. And in it, he said that, you know, historically he's been sort of a spiritualist sort of viewed himself as being evolved beyond religion. But in the last couple of years, he has found his life coming more and more in line with the teachings and the ways of God that are found in the Bible. And now he doesn't have any problem asking for more of God in his life. And he finds himself aligning with Christian ideals and ideas. And as I was watching it, I couldn't help but be convicted that this man found that the teachings and the ways of Jesus were a better way to live. And they are. If you study the teachings and the ways of Jesus and you actually put them into practice, you will learn how to live a healthier and better, more loving, fulfilling life. That is true. But Jesus didn't just come that you would intellectually assent to his way of life and then follow his teachings. He came because he knew that we needed to be renewed. He knew that we needed to be transformed. And for me, I was looking at a man who understood the importance of the teachings of Jesus, but had yet to grasp or even catch glimpse of the magnificent beauty of the kingdom of God. Because at least in his YouTube video, it was very clear to me, he was yet to be born again. He had realized that conveniently that the things of Jesus and the things of the church matched up fairly well with his view of the world. But it was all about worldview alignment. It wasn't about total and complete life transformation. Jesus had yet to get a hold of his heart and completely transform who he was. And for some of us, that does happen overnight. We went from addiction and into new life. We went from atheism and believing that there was a God. Our life became totally and completely transformed overnight, and we were so different. And for others, like me, you grew up in the church, and that transformation took time. But you are a different person. If you look at 16-year-old Mark and 17-year-old Mark, you won't see much of a difference. But if you look 16-year-old Mark and 36-year-old Mark, which I'm not even 36 yet, so that's a bad example, 34-year-old Mark, you would notice a total and completely different person. The version of me at 16 isn't just more mature because I've grown older, but the version of me at 
35 or 34 is completely different than a 16 year old me in terms of my selfishness and my ambitions and my desires and the things that I care deeply about. They've become transformed. They've become more and more like Jesus over time. And a lot of times I think those of us who grow up in the church, we think that we don't need this sort of total life transformation, but Jesus doesn't really leave it as an option. And you might be thinking, well, listen, I don't have any of these sort of like more, you know, egregious sins, right? Like the Bible has always basically been against addiction and sexual sin and things like that. Like the big bad ones, you know, like I, I don't do any of those things. But instead, imagine of life that is this free, it's free of anxiety and worry because you've placed your faith and found your strength in the Lord. Imagine that transformation in your life. Uh, imagine your life where gossip never crosses across your lips because you've learned to be trustworthy and a good companion, friend, parent, spouse. Imagine a life that the different aspects of your life, those, those sinful areas, those areas that need total transformation came underneath the rule of Jesus Christ for you, that he gained authority over them. And you allowed the Holy Spirit to transform them and turn you into somebody new. Even those areas that the church embraces and even sometimes says is good, like workaholism or any one of the other various things that the church seems to sort of embrace instead of chastise and cast out. Jesus came that all of our lives would be transformed. Whether we grew up in the church or we grew up hating the church, he came that we would be made new. And th that word in there, transformed, be, don't be, don't be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That word in there in the Greek is where we get the root word for metamorphosis. This idea of becoming something entirely different. And so like metamorphosis, like a caterpillar, right? goes into a cocoon and rests in the cocoon and then when it emerges it has wings and it flies about and, and to the uneducated person the person who doesn't know what a caterpillar does if you show them a caterpillar and then you show them a butterfly and insisted that they were the same thing people would be like there's absolutely no way that that caterpillar and that butterfly are the same thing but this is the type of transformation that jesus is talking about this is the type of transformation and the reason that he came on christmas day was that our lives would be radically different like a caterpillar to a butterfly like a consumeristic selfish indulgent fat little caterpillar who cared only for ourselves that we would be transformed into something more whimsical and beautiful and complete as god is creating something fresh and new and restorative in you it might be an area of your life right now that you really feel like you need to give over to god that the holy spirit might come into your life and bring about transformation what would it be like if somebody saw you tomorrow or the next day and they were like, yeah, that person was like that at one time, but now they're transformed. They're totally different. They were lazy, but now, man, they're hardworking and humble. They were arrogant, but now, man, they think about others. They were selfish, but now they put people before themselves. Imagine what it would look like for your life to also allow it to be transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit, to submit yourself to the rulership and leadership of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. 
in your life. It wouldn't be a whole unlike a whole lot unlike the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, who started on Christmas Eve as a grouchy miser, but throughout the night encountered himself in Christmas's past and in the Christmas of the day and of the Christmases in the future. And he saw a grim, distant future where his death was not mourned, but instead was celebrated. And he saw moments of happiness and joy that he wasn't partaking in. And he saw the very things that colored his dark heart and made him against Christmas to begin with. And when he wakes up on Christmas morning, thinking the day has passed and his opportunity to make a new life is gone, he realizes that he indeed is still on Christmas Day and has a chance to transform his life. Let's take a look to the very beginning of that from A Muppet Christmas Carol in our second clip for tonight. I love how I can be closing in at the end of the message to our final point in our church is creating an alternate reality where Ebenezer Scrooge becomes Alfred from Batman. Um, just, I have no, sometimes guys, um, sometimes I'm, I'm never sure where we are. Um, listen, the whole point is that Jesus didn't just come so that you would celebrate with family and have some tasty food, watch a Christmas movie and share in some Christmas cookies. He didn't just come so that we would have a Christmas to celebrate, although you should. Enjoy it, celebrate it, allow the sparkle and the magic of Christmas to be there. But if that's all that Christmas is about, it will continue to pale in comparison to what Christmas could be. Because he didn't just come so that you would have a transformed December 25th. And that's why it matters. Because Jesus came to transform our lives. Not just a day in our year. He came because he wanted to transform our lives. It's an all-encompassing transformation. It's a caterpillar little grubby creature to a beautiful butterfly type of transformation. It's not a tack on to the things that you already believe. It's not an alignment with things that you already like. It's not an augment into your already convenient life. It is life altering. To choose to follow Jesus means that he gets the opportunity to make us new. We never get a glimpse of his kingdom if we're unwilling to go through the cocoon, to be transformed, to go through the metamorphosis, to become something new. Jesus came that you would be made new. Something beautiful and better. And he's always in the process of transforming our lives. Not just with his teaching, certainly with his teaching, but also with his spirit. That his spirit would change the way that we think. That we would change the way we think about people and events and eternity. That our lives would be made new. So the reality is the church doesn't actually need a whole lot of people who intellectually assent to the fact and the idea that loving and forgiving people is a philosophically good idea. It is a good idea. The world needs people who've submitted themselves to Jesus Christ and allowed their lives to be utterly transformed by the power of his spirit. And Twitch needs that too. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for our church. I thank you for our church family. I pray now as we head in to our closing worship song and we reflect on what Christmas means to us, that yes, we would have the gifts and yes, we would have the eggnog and yes, we would have all of the things, the gift exchanges and the Christmas music and the decorations and the Christmas lights and all of that magic would be in this season for us, but that it wouldn't fall short because we are missing the deep point that Jesus came over 2000 years ago as a child 
the God that you came in the form of flesh and blood into the small town of Bethlehem. Not that we would have a reason to buy gifts for friends on Christmas Day, but so that our lives would be transformed and made new. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Lux Digital Church. If Lux has been having an impact on your life, I want to encourage you to visit us at luxdigitalchurch.com and get connected to our community there. We're so thankful for you and we appreciate you. Have a blessed day and a blessed week.